welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, guys, it's good to be here with you all. Um, welcome to all of you to New Life Fellowship and to welcome to the people online. I don't know what camera I'm supposed to look at. Just look at all of them. <laughs> um, I'm Pastor Josh, one of the pastors here. And I've known I'm going to be preaching today for like, I don't know, three or four weeks. And I've been praying about it a lot and I've been thinking about it a lot because it's, it's kind of a big deal. It's... You know, I got a chance to stand up and together with Jesus, kind of be his words and be his voice. And that's a big deal. It kind of, if I actually think and stop and think about it, it's really freaky. Um, but it's also really special. <clears throat> it's also a really special thing. And so I'm just going to take a moment to pray for you guys, uh, to pray for myself and just to kind of recognize that Jesus is here, and he's been doing some great work already this morning. Um, and yeah, we've got a, a cool journey ahead of us today. So, Father, thank you for the journey that each person has been on in these past weeks. Thank you for how you have been moving behind the scenes. Thank you for you've been kind of like moving within circumstances and moving within um, problems and challenges and joys and victories. And thank you for that strength and that character that you demonstrate over and over again. Thank you that we're safe. We're safe with you. And, and this morning, I just thank you that you're up here with me and you're in each seat and you're in, you are just everywhere. Um, because however we always recognize it or not, we are in a constant, constant state of desperate need. Um, and you promise to be all that we need in our moments of greatest weakness and greatest need. Amen. So often when I preach, um, I kind of, you know, I spend a few weeks thinking and praying and then, you know, an idea or a verse or something kind of bubbles to the surface and I'm like, okay, I think this is what God has for me. And then the week leading up, I spend a lot of time just kind of like pouring through it and, um, and I get this really strong sense of this is what God has for us. Um, this time was a little different in the sense that my wife and I and our family just moved from Fergus to Cambridge, and I thought it was going to be a lot of work, and I was right. <laughs> I was right. Doesn't happen often, but I was right this time. But I wasn't quite right enough in the sense that it has been way, way more work than I thought. Um, and so, you know, I, I thought that, you know, our move was the middle of June. By the time we actually rolls around to July 3rd, I'll, we'll, be, we'll be up and rolling. That is not the case. Our house, our house looks like we just moved. So, um, and, but it's been interesting for me to, to you know, in, in the preparation I've done for today, to see that God has actually been using that in a, a way to, like, prepare my heart for, for what he has for us. Um, and, you know, a, a few different ideas did come up, but God actually led me to a specific book of the Bible 
Um, and it's a book that I actually, I actually did preach about a few years ago. Feels weird to say that, new life. But it was actually when we were back when we were at the uh, school at Chicopee Hills. And it's the book of Lamentations. Has anybody read anything from the book of Lamentations? It's kind of a dark, dark corner of the Bible. <laughs> There's a lot of intense stuff in there. Um, and I remember the, going through it, doing like, you know, reviewing my notes and going through this kind of personal study that I did. I was just kind of just struck by just how difficult, difficult that book is. Um, it's uncomfortable, honestly. Um, when I, you know, did some digging into the re research into what was happening in the life of the author around that time, things started to make a lot more sense. So for people who aren't necessarily aware, Lamentations is a book of five chapters, and each chapter is actually a standalone poem. And um, they were written by uh, an artist, a poet, who was named Jeremiah, and Jeremiah wrote a few, a few books of the Bible. Um, and in these books, you find verses that say, um, look and see if there's any pain like my pain, which was dealt severely to me, which the Lord inflicted on me in his fierce anger. He set fire to my bones. It's like, oof. That's uncomfortable for me to read. Um, the Lord spread a net for my feet. He turned me back and made me desolate. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. Ugh. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. It's like, I have such a hard time, like, reading that and, like, thinking about it and letting it sink into me a little bit. I grew up in, a, in, in the church. I grew up in a Christian family and... I grew up from the, I can remember being like laying down underneath chairs, you know, I was probably reading and praying, honestly, that's probably what I was doing during the sermons, I probably wasn't actually, probably reading or, I don't know, it's kind of what those kids are doing back there, um, but I can remember like hearing, like I, I can think of like I've heard scripture my whole life, and that's great in many ways, but it's also not great in other ways because it just kind of skims across me, like it just kind of skims over my mind. And so it takes extra work for me now to like really engage, really engage with the scripture. And verses like these, I don't want to engage with at all because there's like this sense of like, I don't feel like I'm allowed to say those things to God. <laughs> like I'm not allowed to, to think anything bad about the creator of the universe. Like I know what Jesus did on the cross. He did like amazing things. God made the world. And am I allowed to say to God, like, or to say, look what God inflicted on me? Am I allowed to say that? Like, that's also, like, that's insanely hard for me personally to deal with. But also, there's actually a weird comfort. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to use this analogy. My wife always gets nervous whenever I say those words. <laughs> um, I remember one time, um, this goes back probably three or four years and Sarah and I were watching a show, I don't remember what show it was, but in it, the husband and the wife got into a fight. And Sarah knows whenever there's a show or a movie and there's like relational tension, especially with, with like a married couple, I just get so antsy. It's like, I have to keep changing my position. I'm like, I usually get up and go to the bathroom or get, I just, and I wait till it's over and then I come back. And for some reason, as this husband and wife are like just going at each other, this crazy thought dropped in my head. It was like, I wish I could fight like that with Sarah. I was like, whoa, like, that's terrible. Um, 
What I didn't realize, though, is that God was using that moment. He was using that moment to show me that if I am not willing to step into conflict with my wife, I'm actually am not loving her really well. And I'm actually putting a cap on the level of intimacy that Sarah and I can have. And that's what I'm seeing in this in Lamentations, too. If I'm not willing to go to the dark places with God, if I'm not willing to give a voice to like the, kind of the bitter, angry, cynical part of myself that's kind of mad at God that this isn't working out better, there's a cap on the level of intimacy that we all can experience in our relationship with God. And that's one of the major things that Lamentations has to teach, you, teach us. Um, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to go through the very high level, like the whole book, and it's about suffering. And so my goal is that you guys suffer. As, as I, just kidding, that's not the goal. <laughs> it's, it's about suffering, and it's about how to handle suffering, and it's specifically about how to handle a relationship with God in the midst of suffering. Um, there's a few really important lessons. I hope we can get through all of them, but if we don't, then the Lord will teach you some other way. Um, what I want to show, a few, few major points. Uh, firstly, the book of Lamentations is a meticulously crafted piece of art. We're going to get into that. Um, the book of Lamentations demonstrates a healthy response to calamity and catastrophe. The book of Lamentations demonstrates God's authority over suffering. The book of Lamentations underscores the need for the gospel, the need for Jesus. And the book of Lamentations also carries a weighty and uncomfortable invitation. So, as we mentioned earlier, Lamentations is written by an artist, a poet named Jeremiah, and he was struggling to cope in the midst of a sweeping, sweeping catastrophe. Um, so, historians largely agree that the, this book was written around 586 BC, so you know, five, six hundred years before the birth of Christ. And it happened as the city of Jerusalem was under siege by, the, uh, by Babylon, the nation of Babylon. Um, and Israel, where like the cap Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel, Israel was kind of caught up in the midst of a power play between the two major superpowers. So there's Egypt, and then there was Babylon. And Israel picked a side. They picked Egypt, and they picked the losing side. And Babylon came down hard on Israel. Um, they swept through Israel and besieged the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, for 18 months. And during that time, um, there was some incredibly horrible things that happened. The city leaders, rather than capitulate to the siege, they refused to open the doors, they refused to, to surrender, and the citizens within became more and more desperate and more and more depra depraved. Lamentations describes um, horrible, horrible acts. I was thinking about how the kids are in the service today, and so I'm not going to talk about them because it's definitely not safe, not safe for kids. Um, it's not too hard to find them, though, going through Lamentations. And the author of this book is looking around him and watching as his very, the foundations of his life being shaken and torn down, relationships that had been his lifeblood just gone, watching people turn on each other, watching people um, resort to the most vile and violent and despicable acts that you can do to another human being. Um, when I first preached about this a few years ago, I remember thinking, man, it's kind of hard to relate to this a little bit. 
Um, but in the last year, we've seen a lot of stuff happening uh, with uh, Russia and the war there, and some of the stories that are coming out, some of the social media images are coming out. It's just, it breaks my heart. Um, and I know that that's the pain that I feel when I hear about that, the pain that I feel as an elder, when I hear about marriages just struggling, when I hear about people just going through the ringer. Like, I know that's the pain that God is feeling too. You know, my, my heart is kind of like, is feeling an echo of that pain. Um, after 18 months of this siege, uh, the siege broke. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in and completely destroyed the city. Thousands of people were killed. There were thousands that had already been killed within the city. It's kind of citizens turning against each other. And thousands and thousands of citizens of the city were actually deported. Not really deported, technically, but they're displaced. So Daniel, for example, Daniel and his three friends, they were in that group of people. Um, the story of Mordecai and Esther, the book of Esther in the Bible, um, it's not 100% clear, but it's a good chance that Mordecai was one of the ones who's taken and kind of displaced and moved somewhere else. And so that was happening. And as Jeremiah is seeing all this happen, he begins to craft a piece of art. And in that, he is unflinchingly processing some of these incredibly painful and difficult emotions, perhaps some of the most painful and difficult emotions that a human can experience. Um, and when I you know, look at the imagery and I look at what's going on in the Book of Lamentations, I look what's going on uh, you know, with Russia and Ukraine, and I look what's going on in the lives of my friends, the lives of people I desperately care about and I desperately love, and I, I think, God, like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I know that all things work together for good. Like, I know that, but I just, I don't see it at all. Like, what do you, what's going on? Like, where are you here? Like, how can you be okay with all the stuff going on? And before studying the Book of Lamentations, I don't know if I ever would, ever would have given myself permission to actually let those painful questions bubble to the surface. Have you ever asked those questions? You know, maybe you screamed it at God. Maybe you wrote it in a journal. You know, maybe you whispered it in the dark. You know, maybe it's ever only been an ache, an ache in your heart. But today we're going to explore God's heart. And we're going to wrestle with pain and suffering. We're going to talk about God's judgment. We're going to talk about, you know, his punishment. But I, I think one of my favorite things with Lamentations is it proves the cathartic nature of art. And I just, I love New Life Collective. I just love the vision for that. I think it's such a special, special thing. And I'm so proud of us as a community. This is something we've said, this is important to us. Because art, the, the, the work of, of, of creating something, processing your emotions, and, and creating something that can then be shared with other people. There's something that's deeply... Um, I can, the only word I can think of is deeply cathartic. It helps process, you know, as you're spending time in these emotions. And that's the thing that I love with Lamentations is that, so there's five, five chapters, and each chapter has 22 sections to it. Chapters 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 all have 22 verses. And they're actually 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet. And so chapters 1 to 4 are actually acrostics. In the sense that chapter one, or sorry, chapter one, verse one, the first verse starts with A. You know, they are equivalent of A. The second verse starts with B. The third verse starts with C. 
And there's a very clear and distinct and a very strong, you know, rhythm and, and meter to this verse. And when I first kind of realized that, I was like, that completely shifted my concept of what the book of Lamentations was. Because I imagine uh, Jeremiah seeing all this stuff and just like shouting and screaming at God. That's what I imagined, right? Sort of like somebody flying off the handle. But that's not what it was. He had all these difficult, heavy, hard, hard emotions. And he spent time processing them and, and allowing those emotions to fuel his words. He simmered in those emotions. He like marinated in those emotions and works to create a piece of art with rhythm and with imagery and with structure. And that's what I love about the concept of New Life Collective because it gives a very, very clear platform, a very, very clear structure for us to begin to, like, to experience that on our own as well. Um, one of the other really cool things about this book is the... Is the um, we get through with that next slide up there, Mark, is a special, special uh, structure called chiastic structure. And the word chiastic comes from the, the root uh, Greek uh, word for chi, which is the letter X. So if you're, I'm sure all of you love algebra. And um, if you remember algebra, there's, you know, the, there's the X that you write, X equals, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't love algebra. Uh, the X that you write is, that's the Greek letter X, chi. And so the, the, book of, the book of Lamentations follows a structure called chiastic structure where the idea is kind of moving from the top of the X down to the bottom is you state a series of ideas, kind of like narrowing into the focus point, the emphasis, the main point of the book, which is at the very center of the book. And then you kind of restate the ideas in reverse order, but with a slight twist on it. So the most important part of the book of Lamentations is in the very center. And so when I saw that, I right away went to the middle of the book, and it blew my mind. It was, it was, it was incredible. So what I want to do is go through each chapter, kind of very briefly, and zoom in on a few verses that sort of capture the guts of what the, what the chapter is about, spend some time in the center, and then kind of you know, follow right through to the end. And then I have a few kind of observations and, and thoughts and challenges for all of us. So chapter one of Lamentations, it's, you know, the prophet Jeremiah looking at the city around him, the city that he loves, the city that he grew up in, and noting just the absolute complete destruction. Um, so we're going to jump right to verse 16. Jeremiah says this, For these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears. There is no one nearby to comfort me, no one to revive my soul. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed against Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among, among them. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Listen, all you people, look upon my suffering. My young men and maidens have gone into captivity. A couple things that we'll see as we're kind of like moving through these different scriptures. There's the words Jerusalem and Zion are sort of used interchangeably in the sense that uh, they're, they're, they're different and they're referring to different things, but Jerusalem is sort of like a subset of the word Zion. So Zion essentially refers to God's children, you know, God's, the people, like God's people specifically. Uh, and typically it's like kind of like the context, like the geographical place where God's people live. And then Jerusalem being the capital city, it's sort of represented, representative of that. So you'll see, oh, thank you. Oh, great. 
I'm on my second glass. This is going to be good. If I have to wrap up really fast and then run straight to the back, you may have some suspicions what's going on. <laughs> so when you see Zion and, and Jerusalem, you can kind of know that's sort of um, Jeremiah sort of speaking about God's people. Um, yeah, chapter one, the author surrounded by shocking images of degradation and destruction. Each one is more devastating than the one before. Uh, moving on to chapter two, that's where you know, Jeremiah begins to acknowledge that the Babylonian army that is assailing the city is, you know, while it's the direct source of the pillaging and the destruction, he acknowledges that God is behind it and that ultimately it's God at work. And Jeremiah despairs at the calamity that he sees going on, but he also recognizes it for, for what it actually is. And it's the follow through of a promise God had made to his children uh, centuries before. Let's see here. So we're going to jump in at verse 15. All who pass by clap their hands at you in scorn. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was once called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? Your enemies open their mouths against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. We have swallowed her up. This is a day for which we have waited. We have lived to see it. The Lord has done what he planned. He has accomplished his decree, which he ordained in the days of old. <clears throat> he has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you and exalted the horn of your foes. For some reason, I don't know, the horn of your foes, it always kind of throws me. So if you kind of think about the reference there is, is it's a very visual thing. Um, it's, it's a reference to, you know, a, a bull with like the huge horns. Like that's kind of like a symbolism of the strength, the strength of the bull, the power, the danger that the bull has. And so he's exalted the strength of Israel's foes. Man. It's like, even as I'm reading it now, I'm like, this is just like, it's, it's like, this is, these are the words of somebody who is not afraid. It's like, not afraid to go to God and also almost fight God. They're, they're kind of fighting words in a sense. These are like very, like, this absolutely shakes my good Christian boy, uh, you know, concept of what I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to interact with God. This, like, breaks it apart, and this shatters it. And I think that might be one of the greatest gifts that Lamentations has actually been for me. Moving on to chapter 3. Um, the first half of chapter 3 is, you see a lot of Jeremiah really taking the disaster and beginning to make it personal for himself. You know, he's talking about his own suffering, and he's talking about his own personal experiences uh, as he's seeing the results of, of God's actions. So starting at verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness instead of light. Indeed, he keeps turning his hand against me all day long. Other translations will kind of translate these verses like um, to be more of like, sort of like the idea of like backhanding somebody. Like God has like been backhanding me, just punching me in the face all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has shattered my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with the chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my ways with cut stones. He has made my paths crooked. I almost don't want to admit that I've thought this. And I'm all actually, to be honest with you, I'm actually embarrassed. <laughs> 
because like I've never lived in a city that was being torn apart, like literally torn apart. I've never, I've never seen my neighbors start killing each other. You know, I've never seen that happen. But I still have felt this type of anger. <laughs> it's just with why can't we get these boxes unpacked faster? Like I'm, I'm embarrassed that it's that I struggle this much with just comparatively seem stupid things, just silly things. But that's actually completely beside the point here. What's, what's important for us to realize with this is that the actions that God takes in our life have consequences for us. And as a result of that, we have to handle difficult, challenging things. What we're going to talk about in a few minutes is how all of those different things are tools that he uses. I mean, that, the line in that, the, the last song, like, my, my, my soul, like, my heart needs a surgeon. My heart found a surgeon. Like, literally, that's an example I was going to use. It's like, God, it's like we have gone through a surgery, and we have painful physiotherapy to go through. And God has a whole bunch of different tools that he helps us, uh, that he uses to help us to kind of recover. And, you know, friends, family, um, you know, community, um, his word, the Holy Spirit. Those are all tools that God uses in our lives. And what sucks (laughs) is that pain and suffering is also something that God uses. And what I love about Lamentations is that it proves to me that I don't have to have an answer. Because sometimes I want, I desperately want an answer for why. What's going on here, God? Why are you doing this? And sometimes we don't get that answer. Sometimes the answer is just silence. And that's what we're hearing here. You know, I cry and plead for help, but he shuts out my prayer. You know, there's other, another, uh, another verse talks about God surrounds himself with a cloud and my prayers can't get through. It's like just, that's what it feels like, right? When you're struggling, when you're in the midst of something and you're just, you're praying to God and you're, you're begging him for anything, any insight, any help, and there's just nothing. Like, Lamentations shows us that it's okay to be angry with that. It's okay to be frustrated with that. Then, halfway through chapter 3, we kind of come to the intersection. We come to the epicenter. You know, the the emphasis of all this. What Jeremiah deems the most important thing of all. Verse 21. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the loving devotion of the Lord, we are not consumed. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, jumping ahead a couple more verses. The Lord will not cast us off forever. Even if he causes grief, he will show compassion according to his abundant loving devotion. He does not willingly afflict or grieve the sons of men. And when I read this, I just get this glimpse of it being just the darkness. Uh, I get this glimpse of like being in a forest surrounded by dark, thick trees. Uh, it's like thorns. Uh, it's cold. It's damp. There's mist everywhere. And there's a moment where the clouds part and the sun comes through. And I know that I'm still in the midst of the forest, but there's a brief ray of comfort. There's a brief ray of light. And that's what this part, this part of this, this chapter is here. Saying, you know what? Regardless of the garbage that we're experiencing, regardless of the pain, regardless of the mud, regardless of like the mire that we're just dragging, dra- being dragged through, 
we can come back to the truth, the heart of the Father. I have hope, the loving devotion of the Lord, we are not consumed. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the more, the context of this and why we can be confident, what we can be confident in, in that specifically, but moving on to chapter four. The author slides back into his dismay, uh, revisiting chapter 2's theme of the people suffering, but with a slight twist where he ends the chapter with a ray of hope for the reader. So this is jumping in at verse 17. All the while our eyes were failing as we looked in vain for help. We watched from our towers for a nation that could not save us. They stalked our every step. We could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our time ran out for our end had come. Those who chased us were swifter than the eagles in the sky. They pursued us over the mountains. They ambushed us in the wilderness. The Lord's anointed, the breath of our life, was captured in their pits. We had said of him, under his shadow, we will live among the nations. So rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. Yet this cup will pass to you as well. You will get drunk and expose yourself. Daughter of Zion, your punishment is complete. He will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will expose your sins. For a quick second, I want to zip into uh, verse 20. So if you can jump back a couple verses. Um, It talks about the Lord's anointed will be captured in their pits. Um, One of the interesting things is throughout the Old Testament, there are so many prophecies where it's directly referring to Jesus. Not only that, there are also some more like they're more foreshadowing, where it's like just little snippets that are talking more specifically about a specific individual or a specific person in history, but actually you can kind of like foresh- it foreshadows Christ. So in the time where Jeremiah was active, the king of Israel was wanting to elevate Israel's status in the world. And he had kind of like rallied the nation together, and that was actually, he was like one of the per- people who decided that Israel should have an alliance with Egypt. He was kind of the one that got them to this whole mess in the first place. And that's sort of what he's talking about, what Lamentations is talking about here. The Lord's anointed, the king of Israel. You know, we had said, he, we, under him, we're going to go to the stars. We're going to go to great places under this king. But instead, they find themselves in the pits. It's interesting. This also totally is a prophecy of Jesus. The Lord's anointed, captured in their pits. We had said, under his shadow, we will live among the nations. The people of Israel were looking for, uh, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for a savior, someone who's going to lead their nation to political dominance. And the hope of the disciples, uh, when Jesus was captured and crucified, some of them, their hope was completely shattered. Because this one who's supposed to lead them to, you know, overthrow the, the, the chains of Rome and to, like, to, to finally lead Israel back to, to power had just died. But people misunderstood what Jesus was all about. And that's what I kind of like with this verse here as well, is sometimes we understand, we misunderstand what Jesus is all about. You know, a, you know it kind of brings to mind a conversation I've been having, an ongoing conversation I've been having with some friends about how for so many of us, we love, we love Jesus. We love the idea of Jesus. We, we need a savior. We need a savior because we, we're just, we're in a mess. All of us are in a mess. But the thing is, Jesus is also our Lord. And so many of us, I have to confess for myself, I love the idea of Jesus being my savior. Jesus being my Lord, <laughs> being my boss, <laughs> being the person who, who dictates, you know, who, who tells me what to do. I bristle under that a little more. 
because my concept of what Jesus is supposed to be doesn't always line up. And the unfortunate reality is that sometimes it takes suffering, and sometimes it takes pain for us to really begin to understand who Jesus really is and who he really wants to be for us. Uh, also, the last, the last uh, couple of verses talk about the daughter of Edom. You know, um, so verse 21, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. This cup will pass to you as well. You will get drunk and expose yourself. Talks about there's a ticking clock here. It's like, yeah, you guys, you know, enjoy your fun. I, enjoy your fun, but the, the clock is ticking on you. And that's true for us. You know, we live in a sinful world. We live in a world that's corrupted and tainted by, by sin. And we bear the burdens of that. Like, we bear the scars. We bear the open wounds of a world tainted by sin. But we can have a confidence. We can say, you know what? There's a ticking clock on our pain. There's a day coming. There's, like, there's a day coming when all will be made, all will be made right. Not only for me and, like, restoration, what I've suffered through, what, I, what I've struggled with, but there's also a day coming when the one who attacks me Satan, his, his agents, where their punishment is coming as well. It's interesting as well, the, uh, throughout Scripture, um, different cities have uh, some biblical scholars, like, look at them and, and kind of assign different values to them. So, for example, Babylon um, is sort of the opposite of Jerusalem. And if you look in the book of Revelations, this is totally a tangent. <laughs> if you look in the book of Revelations, Babylon is presented as Satan. And so, you know, as we kind of look at this story, we see Jerusalem being attacked by Satan. Um, and it's sort of like us in our life. You know, we are in a world that is dominated by, by Satan. Um, Edom uh, is often representative of the flesh and of indwelling sin. And all of us, we struggle like, so much of our pain and difficulty and struggle is because we have indwelling sin in us. You know, it's not us, but it is us. It's like a, a sliver in your thumb. It's like the sliver, it's in you, but it's not you. But the sliver is causing pain. It's causing frustration. Same with the indwelling sin. But there's going to be a day when indwelling sin is no more. You know, I, I think about, uh, think about, <laughs> I think about dying sometimes <laughs> and what it'll be like to, you know, to wake up and Jesus is there for <laughs> Think about how quiet it'll be just in my mind, you know? Think about, I just like, what's it going to be like without that inner monologue that's constantly nittering in the background, constantly accusing, constantly challenging, constantly feeding me lies? What would be that if that's just gone? What would be that? That'll be so beautiful and so wonderful. And that's coming. That is absolutely coming. Chapter 5. Revisiting the themes of chapter 1. But there's a difference in that the chapter 5 is a prayer. And so we're going to look at, uh, start jumping in at first, verse 16. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes are dim. Because the Mount of Zion, which lies desolate, foxes prowl in it. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you target us forever? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore to you, O Lord. Sorry, restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. 
That's the last verse in the book. Has God actually disowned them? Has he actually rejected them? Not at all. Has he actually abandoned, abandoned me? Has he actually kind of left you alone in your struggles? It feels like it, but that's absolutely not true. That goes against the character and the promises of God. And that's one of the other big things I want to talk about or I want to bring to light here is like lamentations is as, as a part of our experience as humans. It's a part of our experience. And to ignore that, ignore the pain, the difficulty, it's doing ourselves a massive disservice. But it's not the entirety of the human experience. And this gives us a picture of God. And it's true. It's a true picture of God. But it's not the whole picture of God. And that's one thing to remember as well, is that Jeremiah, as he's writing this out, like the same guy who wrote this also wrote Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And I think about that, I'm like, okay, so Jeremiah was writing that in a prophecy talking to the nation of Israel. But then at the same time, he's also talking about how God has torn them apart. Right? Like, how do I make sense of all this? And that's one of the things, one, one of the lessons that I've kind of picked up on here is like, is that Lamentations proves the failure of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant being the Ten Commandments. For you to have relationship with God, for God to be able to relate to you, here are the behaviors that you have to make a part of your everyday experience. Do this, do this, do this. Do those things and you'll be blessed. Do, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. If you do these bad things, you will be cursed. And that's what Lamentations is a picture of. Lamentations is a picture of progression of hundreds of years of Israel, of God's children, making consistent choices away from God. Lamentations, like, like in the chronology, for 300 years before the events of the book of Lamentations, God had been sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, warning them, there is a danger coming. Turn away from your sin. R embrace God. Like Nahum, Zechariah, not Malachi, Malachi was after, but like Joel, Amos, Obadiah, um, all the, so many of the minor prophets, those little books in the Old Testament you don't really read, all of those people were sent to Israel saying, turn from your sin, turn from your sin, turn from your sin. But Israel refused to listen. And what do you think happens to a culture that consistently rejects God? It becomes more and more and more twisted, perverted, depraved. And you look at, you know, if you go to Lamentations, you start looking through some of the scenes that, that Jeremiah is writing about. Some of the horrific things you see described. I think, how could any person do that to another person? It's because the culture had developed so far away from God. It was like the exact opposite of what God wanted for his kids. And so in the grand scheme of things, you know, it talks about God being the God of generations. God doesn't think in terms... Uh, this isn't 100% true. God doesn't think in terms of moments. Of course he is there, right? He is aware of me moment to moment. But God also has a view of generations, decades, centuries. So God knew that in order for, for Israel to be ready for Jesus, he had to scour Israel clean from the perversion and from the corruption. And that's the other thing that is shown in Lamentations. It's the complete failure of the old covenant 
the old way of doing things, the old way of relating to God. Obey me, do this, do that, do the other thing. And if you fail, we are out of relationship. That is gone. That has passed away. Lamentations describes God cleaning the slate and preparing, setting the stage for Jesus to come. And that's another one piece of the great hope that Lamentations actually has. Um, there's a couple of verses I do want to jump in and look at here. Um, specifically having to do with the question around suffering and pain. Because I want to talk about how Lamentations shows ultimate authority over suffering. I'm having to like slash my notes because I've got so much more time, uh, so much more to go through, but I'm not going to go through all, all of it. Lamentations shows God's ultimate authority over suffering. There's no doubt who is behind the events of Lamentations. Every chapter clearly points to God as being uh, presiding over the events unfolding. It brings up some uncomfortable questions. If God did that to Israel... You know, what will he do to me? Is he behind the pain and suffering in my life? And what I want to say um, is the issue of pain and the issue of suffering, on like a high level, that's something that, you know, we can preach about. That's something that I can make comments about. But the suffering in your heart, like your specific suffering, I'm really skeptical if there's anything that I can say that's going to actually make that better for you. Because I come to it with my own emotions, I come to it with my own mind, but I don't really know the intricate folds of your emotions. I don't really know the delicate landscape of your thinking. And so I, I'm not going to be able to, I don't think I'm going to be able to, to, to craft a response to you to the question of pain and suffering that's going to really put those issues to rest for you. But I think that's a good thing. Because the issue of pain, the issue of suffering... More specifically, the issue of your pain and the issue of your suffering and why is God doing that to you? That's a question that I believe is the foundation for uh, a years-long conversation with God. And I believe that if you have a true, honest heart, uh, a true, honest desire to understand what is going on with your own pain and your own suffering, that's something that can only be delivered. You can only understand what God has for you there through an intimate, close, uncensored relationship with God. The unfortunate thing is, is like there's no promise. God is not promising to give you the answer. He's not promising to give you the answer. But God does promise that he is safe. He does promise that he is strong enough to handle the worst that you can throw at him. He does promise that he will hear you. He promises that he wants to hear you. He wants to care for you very, very much. The judgment on Israel, the punishment that they received that we read about in Lamentations, that was required because of the old covenant. But we're not under that covenant. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've put your trust in Jesus and you've accepted his sacrifice, his payment for sin on your behalf, and you have accepted the reality, the truth, that when he died on the cross, you died with him, and that when he resurrected, you resurrected as well with a brand new, pure heart, that means that the old covenant doesn't apply to you. We have a new covenant whose name is Jesus. And in that place, from that reality, God is not punishing you. What's there to punish? The punishment was already given. It was on Jesus. 
So you can be confident that the suffering that you're experiencing in your life is not God punishing you. Sometimes people get consequences and punishments mixed up. I will say that. Um, I have the freedom. I'm allowed to run a red light if I wish. I'm very likely going to have some other consequences that come with that, and that's not God punishing me. That's me living in a world of cause and effect. And so that's one thing I'd want to say, too, is God doesn't punish you, but we still live in a world where cause and effect takes place. If I cheat on my wife, the effect of that is going to be throwing a grenade in my intimacy with Sarah, throwing a grenade in my relationship with my kids. Those are the consequences. It's not necessarily God punishing. The other thing I also really want to say about this is that as humans, we were designed for a garden paradise. When God made Adam and Eve... He was making them for Eden. And we're not living in Eden anymore. We weren't designed to live in this world. We're going to take an enormous amount of damage because we live in a sinful world. But what God has promised us and what we can, the the beautiful truth that we can discover in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering, and the beautiful truth that's kind of like simmering behind the scenes of, of lamentations is that we have given new, been given new hearts. You know, we've been made alive to Christ. And it doesn't mean that we're done with pain and suffering. But it means that pain and suffering is never the end. It's always a means to an end. A means to a greater end. God is looking beyond these moments of pain, these moments of difficulty. He's with you through the moments of pain, the moments of difficulty. And the invitation that he has for you Is, is an honest one. So, as I'm wrapping up right here, a few thoughts that I wrote down that I, I believe are from God for each one of us. My child, I have thought long and hard, carefully weighing each step of your journey. I have considered each moment of pain that you will move through. I promise you, that nothing escapes my oversight. I promise you that nothing you go through needs to be unnecessary. I promise you that nothing you experience needs to be wasted. I promise you that all of it plays a role in your redemption. And through your journey, I give you permission to not understand. And I give you permission to be furious, dismayed, and discouraged. I give you permission to express the darkest of your thoughts to me. I'm not afraid of your anger, your uncensored self, or your accusations. I welcome them and I cherish them. Often, though, the only way out is through. And I promise you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I promise you that you will be given a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will give you power and strength. I promise you that I understand your pain. I promise you that I will be what you need. I promise you that I will sit here with you until you're ready to get up and you're ready to walk again. So I guess the invitation that God has for us is, will you, will you accept it? You know, every day, you know, if we honestly look at our pain, we honestly look at our suffering, we're faced with a very uncomfortable thing, which is a God who doesn't meet our expectations. And what I want to ask and challenge each one of you is, 
Once in your mind, God has let you down. What do you do then? What I would ask that you consider, what I would challenge you to do, is take that disappointment to him. Express it. You know, use art, use music, use painting. And then I really pray that in those quiet moments at the end, once you sort of vent it out, I really pray that, sort of like, the, like Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, everyone had abandoned Jesus. They left because they didn't like what he was saying. And Jesus looked to his disciples and said, are you going to go too? And Peter said, where would we go? You know? I don't have any other options, you know? If I don't go with God, what, is it all on me now? Like, <laughs> that's just not something that I'm going to go with because... I know what it's like to live under my own power. I know what it feels like inside to try to do things on my own. And that's actually choosing to go back. That's choosing the old covenant. You know, that's choosing to, to try to follow rules, except they're my own rules. Follow law, except it's my own law. And like, honestly, for myself, I'm not going there. You know, I always struggle with how to end sermons. <laughs> So I don't really know how to end. I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to walk off the stage, and I hope music comes on or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Father, boy, we've just started to wrestle with some big, difficult things. And I just pray that your words um, will be the ones that land in the hearts, and, and my words just fall to the floor. I just ask that your Holy Spirit, I just ask you personally, please just be so active in the hearts of everyone here. Just convict them of their, of their standing with you. Convict them of their, their, their place and their position as a, as a treasured child of God. Like, just being there, just, I pray that that would be overriding every, every lie from the enemy right now. I just, I just desperately ask you for that. Thank you so much for this body. Thank you so much for my friends. Thank you so much for what you have for all of us. Um, I think I'm thankful because sometimes it's really hard and not fun. But I choose to trust you. I choose to step forward even when it feels too hard. I choose to believe that you are, um, you are all, you are all, you are the way forward. And uh, we're, we're trusting that and we're gambling on that moving forward. Thank you, Father. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.